Hello. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is Revelation chapter 5. It would be great if you could push pause on this video now, go and have a read of Revelation 5, and then come back and push play. We'll see you in just a moment. So much of our lives is marked by a rhythm and routine of sameness, the same thing happening over and over and over. But there are moments in our lives that are unique, so unique that they change the trajectory of everything that we are and everything that exists about us. Uh, these unique moments, though, when you think about the course of your lifetime, they are few and far between, and yet they carry so much weight and so much meaning because they are at the core of who you are as a person. Uh, when you extrapolate that over the billions of people that live in this world and the millennia uh, of time that has gone past, you also begin to realize uh, that not a whole lot new takes place under the sun. In fact, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. There's just this cycle that keeps on repeating itself. And yet, in history, there are a few unique events uh, that change the course of history. And when we discover them, we discover that those unique events uh, change our understanding of what really matters in the world. Revelation chapter 5 is one of those unique events in the universe's history that changes absolutely everything. Now, as we come to Revelation 5, we need to remember that Revelation 4 and 5 are part of one vision that John sees, and they stand at the head of the rest of the book of Revelation, that you cannot interpret anything that comes after them without holding Revelation 4 and 5 as the backdrop to what follows. In Revelation 5, there is a shift in the vision that John sees. In chapter 4, the vision centered around the throne and the creator who sits on the throne, uh, the one who is worthy uh, to receive glory and honor, uh, the one who is existed for all time. But in Revelation 5, the vision shifts not uh, to the one who is on the throne, but to the thing that is in the hand of the one who is on the throne and what can be done about it. So, let's have a careful look at what it is that John saw and what it is that John heard in this vision of heaven so that we can better understand what comes next of what must happen, but so that we can also better understand the world that we live in and what this unique event is all about that helps us to make sense of everything that goes on in our lives and in this world. Let's begin by closely looking at what it was that John saw in this continuation of his vision. Then I saw in or on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, front and back, and it was sealed with seven seals. It was a scroll that was full. Uh, it has then the idea that it contains the full plans and purposes of God, and it is a scroll that has been sealed. Uh, that is, it is unknown what its contents are until it is unsealed. Again, that number seven is used, which holds the weight of completeness and wholeness and perfection and fullness and fulfillment. 
So what is contained in the scroll is the beginning and the end point of everything that God had planned for all eternity. Uh, this scroll that contains the plans and purposes of God is sealed up so that it cannot be read. And that means that what it contains cannot be put into effect until it is unsealed and opened. Daniel had a very similar vision, uh, and he was told to write that vision down on the scroll and to seal it up because it was not for now. But in the timeline that God is working on, in the sequential timeline that God is working through, the moment has now come where this scroll is to be opened. Because John sees a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? Uh, who is able to take the scroll and implement God's plans? And you'll notice that it's a question of worthiness. Who is worthy? It's not about might. It's not about knowledge. It's a question of worthiness. Who is the one who is worthy? And the answer is incredibly disappointing in verse 3, because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. There is no one in all of creation who is able to put the Creator's purposes into effect. And John's response is a right one, because he wept and he wept that no one could be found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside it. At the very heart of God, no one would be able to know what it was because no one was worthy. Friends, that is the reality of our universe and of our world, that no one is worthy to read God's scroll because no one is able to implement the plans that that scroll contains. That is the hopelessness of our world, that God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. But then one of the elders, one of the 24 elders who was sitting around the throne in his own throne, said to John, don't weep. Look, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Uh, the vision progresses. Uh, now is not the time for weeping because there is one. Uh, those two little phrases together, the Lion of Judah, uh, the Root of David, uh, they're Old Testament references and allusions to God's promised Messiah, to his Christ, the Anointed One. You need to understand about Revelation is that Revelation takes Old Testament imagery, uh, Old Testament pieces of scripture and phrases, uh, and uses them to help us to understand what must come next. The Old Testament is the source material for everything that's going to take place in the book of Revelation. So we really do need to make sure that we understand our Old Testament if we're gonna make sense of the book of Revelation. So here are these two Old Testament references, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David. They're explicit references to the Messiah, that is the one who would save God's people, and the Christ, God's anointed king and ruler. Uh, tribe, uh, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah is a reference from Genesis 49, 
that it was through the, the line of Judah uh, that this Messiah, Savior, would come. And the root of David is a reference to 2 Samuel chapter 7, that the king of God's kingdom would come out of the family of David. And when you put those two together, you know that you are talking about the coming Messiah, the King, the Christ. So what the elder is saying to John when he says, don't weep, is that you don't need to weep because the Christ, the Messiah, has now come. He has conquered. He has triumphed. There is one who can open the scroll and open the seals. There is one uh, who has won the victory. And the purpose of that victory was so that he could take the plans of God and put them into effect for the rest of time. In the past, Christ has conquered at the cross in order that the scroll can be unsealed and opened. So, of course, John looks around for the one that the elder is speaking of. And this is what he saw in verse 6. I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, of God sent out into all the earth. What he saw in verse 6 was the last thing that he expected. Not a lion, but a lamb. And not a lamb that was full of life and full of vitality and full of vibrancy. A lamb uh, that looked as though it had been slain. Uh, this picture couldn't have been any further from the conquering, triumphing lion that the elders spoke about. Look at uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed, and John sees a lamb that looked like it was dead or had been put to death. But you see, friends, that is the paradox of the gospel, that the way to glory is the way of the cross, uh, that, that the way to glory is bound up in the shame of the cross. You know, to be crucified in the Roman world, it was the most shameful of deaths. It was a public exhibition uh, that was put on as a warning to anyone else who would consider an uprising or a rebellion. It was Rome stamping its authority saying, we are in control and this is what will happen to you if you do likewise. It was a powerful uh, political statement. But the crucifixion was where the glory of God was revealed for all the world to see, for all of history. For there, uh, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, triumphed by being slain. He conquered by his blood being shed. Uh, that the, the, all, the, the, the references to the seven horns and the seven eyes, that he was all-powerful and all-knowing, uh, that, that this Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and that it's by his death and resurrection and his ascension that he sends his spirit out into the world. When he looks at the Lamb, when we think of the crucifixion, nothing could be further from glory. The most shameful uh, public way to die and be made an example of. But it was God's way to save the world, 
to send Jesus to lose his life. For if he saved himself, he could not have saved us. His purpose was to save sinners, to rescue them from God's wrath by enduring God's wrath on himself. The way to triumph and conquest was seemingly to be conquered. But that is why the lamb that was slain is the one who is worthy. Because he has been conquered, he is actually the one who has conquered. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is incredibly helpful in helping us to understand uh, what exactly it was that took place. That after uh, Jesus' death, he was given the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is made possible by his death and by his resurrection. And that is what makes this lamb worthy. And you've got to bear in mind, there's more Old Testament references here. You think about the Passover lamb that was slain. He is the one who is now worthy to take the scroll. And this lamb is not dead. He has eyes to see all things. He has horns. Uh, and seven, seven, again, you've got this all-powerful uh, perfection uh, that are taking place. And so he is worthy to put God's will into effect. Not just that he's able, he is worthy by his death and resurrection and ascension so that he can take the scroll and open the seals and implement the plans. And that's what he does in verse 7. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is undeniably one of the most climactic moments in all of the Bible. Uh, this is the gospel in all of its momentous news, the message of the gospel that is at the center of all things. But before he opens the scrolls, and before he releases the seals, and before he reads the words and implements the plans, as he takes the scroll, all of heaven bursts forth in song. So we're going to look next week in chapter 6, 7, 8, uh, what happens when he opens the scroll. But for now, we can't miss out what is taking place in the rest of chapter 5. For when he taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. When uh, the creatures sing a new song to the Lord, a new song was always sung uh, when uh, God won a victory on behalf of his people. Miriam sang a new song in Exodus. Moses sang a new song in Exodus. And that song moved from worthy is the creator to worthy is the lamb. Now they're worshiping the Lamb, and they're bringing the prayers of the saints to the Lamb. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? The, the bowls uh, of, that are uh, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, that our prayers are laid before that throne and before that Lamb, and He hears them. Our prayers are, are actually in heaven now. gives us more impetus to pray, doesn't it? But that's an aside. Uh, here they are, uh, worshiping the Lamb. And it's interesting, and we mustn't miss this, because throughout the Bible, uh, the Bible has been about there is one God, and you shall worship him only, and you shall have no other gods before him, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
But now what we see happening here is that the Lamb too is being worshipped. So here then is this unique moment taking place in heaven, taking place in eternity. And it isn't blasphemy when they turn and they openly praise the Lamb, because the Lamb is God the Son. Their worship is completely appropriate. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Friends, this is extraordinary and we mustn't miss what is taking place here. He is worthy because he was slain. Uh, he was worthy not just because he was killed, but because he was killed as a sacrifice to redeem and to ransom and to rescue. Uh, who do you ransom? Who do you rescue? Well, captives and slaves, people who are bound and who cannot help themselves. These are people from everywhere, from every tribe, from every language, from every nation, and look at what they're being rescued for. They're being rescued for God. Friends, we are being rescued and redeemed by this Lamb to be uh, pre the priests of God. Just mull that over in your mind a little bit. Uh, that in this description of the gospel, uh, Jesus by his death has ransomed you out of sin, out of death, out of self-centeredness, uh, out of uh, the wrath of God, out of captivity, and he's turned us sinners into priests. Those of us who were slaves and dead in our sins, he has turned into kings who will reign on the earth. Because he died for us, we are no longer held into the captivity of total hopelessness, of a self-centered life. No, we're rescued out of that out of the punishment, out of unholiness, to be the people of God, the people that he always intended us to be, to enjoy the role that he always wanted us to play. We are now the holy people of God because the holy God has rescued us and we will enjoy him and serve him as his priests forever. When no one else was worthy, Jesus by his death and resurrection was worthy and is worthy. But that's not the only song, because there's another one in verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousands. That was kind of like the biggest number in Greek thought. So it was like myriad upon myriad. It was a, a countless number. We would now say trillions upon trillions, because our numbers have gotten so big. So I looked and trillions upon trillions in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Why is such eminence being given to the Lamb that was slain? Well, in chapter 4, it was given to God because he made you. In chapter 5, it's being given to the Lamb because he died for you, ransomed you, rescued you, delivered you. 
And now there's another song in verse 13. Because then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see, once you see Christ for who he is, and understand what he has done, well then you will recognize why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus sits with the Father with all of that power and with all of that might and now everything has changed. There was a time before this and there was a time after this. History is sequential. As much as our life goes in cycles, there is a sequential piece of time and history that works itself out. Once there was a time where the Lamb had not died and been slain. Now we live in a time after the Lamb has died and been slain, and He is worthy to take the scroll and to reveal what must come next and to enact the plans and the purposes of God. But for now, the focus is on this rescue, this redemption, is on this Savior who is sitting with God, the Creator on the throne, who has done all of this for us. Friends, once there wasn't a time when Jesus was your Lord and Savior, but I hope now as you look back on that time when that was not the case, you now find yourself in another time where you can say yes Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior. There's no embarrassment in thinking that once there wasn't a time when I had not put my trust in Jesus or repented of my sins. But now there is a time where because I understand that he is the lamb who was slain for me, I can put my trust in him. I can turn to him in love and faithfulness. I can be grateful for his death and his resurrection and his ascension to his seating at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as we have this glimpse into heaven, uh, that is what we understand. That what is there now has changed since the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to the throne. When we see what is there now, we can begin to answer Questions that are of absolute importance. Questions like, who is in control of the world? Uh, it looks like no one's in control of the world. It looks like sin and sickness and disease and COVID are in control of the world. But when you look into heaven, you see it is the creator on the throne and the savior with the creator. And what he is doing in this world is making for himself a new people, a people for God, who are to be the priests of God, and who will have the Spirit of God sent out into all the world, gathering together his people. That is what is going on in the world. That is how we can answer who is in control of the world. Well, God and the Lamb are in control of the world. And what is going on in the world? Well, they're gathering together a people for themselves. So what's our response? Well, our response is to look forward to one day when face to face, 
we will get to do exactly what is being done here in Revelation chapter 5. But for now, what should we be doing? Well, it changes everything in our life, doesn't it? Because it changes the importance and the weight that we put on what really matters. So many things become completely irrelevant when we see this unique moment of history. Uh, it, it's something that should uh, change the entire trajectory of our life. That it changes the entire focus of our life. It's why the writer of Hebrews can say, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of persecution, in the midst of having to endure, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of loss, in the midst of the uncertainty of this life, there is certainty that all of our life is to be lived for the Creator and for the Savior, that they become the fixed points in our life from which everything can gain its meaning and its significance and its worth. Because that is where we long to be, because that is what we are part of if we are Christians, and that is what we look forward uh, to uh, being fulfilled and being a part of for all eternity. When we understand Jesus for who he is and what he has done and where he is now, we can no longer live the same way because it changes everything. What happens next? Well, that we're going to have to look into next week. For now, what we have is the exciting uh, description of one of the greatest moments of all eternity, when the one who was slain rose to accept his kingship over the universe, rose to take the scroll that was sealed and to unseal it, to put into effect the plans and the purposes of God. And that's what he is doing right now. I hope and pray that you will put this new song in your heart. And that as you put this new song in your heart, uh, with, a, with a renewed understanding, with a better understanding of all that it means, it will help you with whatever it is that you are facing and dealing with in life and what you will still face and deal with in life, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus to set your minds on things above, to throw off uh, the temptation for unbelief and to be unfaithful and to keep on running the race that has been set out before us because Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I hope that you will know that he is worthy of all your affections, of all your worship, and of all your love. And that the trajectory of your life will be changed by who he is and by what he has done and by what he has done for you. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God, we give you praise and honor and glory and thanks that you are the lamb who was slain, that you are worthy to take the scroll, and that you are right now putting into effect the plans and the purposes of God. Father, help us to trust in the lamb that was slain and to set our lives aright 
as we keep our focus on Jesus, that we might gain all of our meaning from that fixed point in history where he died for us, where he rose for us, and where he ascended into heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.